Hello and welcome to another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. This is your host, Jay Wilmington, and once again, for the third time now, I'm. Uh, it's a joy to have Julian Bravo welcome me, and uh, I know Julian, you know, we've got a chance to talk about a couple things, and now we've got real uh, transfer business to talk about here, and, and a player specifically in Romelo Lukaku, who is now officially departing the club on a one-year loan to, to Inter Milan. Um you know, uh, a player we've discussed a lot, and I'm fascinated to have you welcome me today and share some of your thoughts uh, on on Big Rom and and kind of the Chelsea story. I am very much looking forward to this, as we have had some pretty heavy discussions about Lukaku since the moment he was uh, rumored to be coming back to this club. So I'm very much looking forward to this. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. Uh, it was is this this reunion less than a year ago now uh, of of his return to the club, and sort of all of the you know being sold as his triumphant return and having matured and grown at other clubs since leaving Chelsea and particularly under Antonio Conte at Inter and his success there. You know, uh, uh, all the all the right or all the wrongs were going to be righted, and he was going to be the the piece uh, at, the, at the number nine that was going to kind of be the final the final thing to really make Chelsea right there with Liverpool and City and of course um, you know that here we are less than a year later and that's in many ways not how it's turned out um, but going back to a little less than a year ago when he showed up yeah Julian why don't you start there and kind of your your feelings about his arrival a year ago and some of some of the other perceptions about his arrival as well. I felt like I was the only one that did not want him coming back to this club. And there's no knock to Lukaku because I was a huge Lukaku supporter his first time around. I was really excited to bring him in. And I actually had some really positive impressions about his first time around with the club because he might not have scored any goals for us, but he put in some really nice minutes. You could tell he was always on the verge of scoring some goals. Of course, a couple of loan spells and he looked exceptional in his loan spells. West Brom, he overperformed. Everton, he had some really good performances. And it just felt like he was maybe the future of the club. And maybe had he scored some goals, gotten some better results, or not had as much manager turnover as we had had, then it's entirely possible we never sold him in the first place. But I never saw his first spell as being anything other than somewhat of a success given that we sold him at a profit and we purchased him for nothing. He had some successful loan spells and everything looked good at that time. However, I was strongly opposed to his signing for a number of reasons. And I think the biggest reason being, I never saw him as a decent fit for this club. And that's where we really differed on this initially because A lot of people just kind of went in looking at this saying, hey, we need a striker. The problem was we didn't need this kind of striker. Yeah, I, you know, I think I thought we might, you know, and I think if I could sort of in my mind envision of what, um, because I was obviously a lot more optimistic even, you know, about his return. And, you know, I've seen a circle around this forward you know, clinical finishing being the problem and sort of circle around that drain for years and years and years with lots of different types of structures up front and also different players up front. And I, I don't think it's, you know, even last year, I didn't think he was going to come and suddenly magically solve it. But I did think that there was a lot of potential there. 
And yeah, I mean, I think certainly the story was was compelling as well. But I think in that first month, we saw, uh, you know, what I thought he might have throughout the season, where he was a pretty prolific goal scorer. He did seem to be a focal point of the attack. And, you know, obviously that was just, it, it wasn't sustained in any way. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, there was just such a brief glimpse of it, but it, but that was really all it ever, all we ever got. What was great about that was the conversations we had during that time, because there was his first game at the club, and it was a really impressive performance from Lukaku, one of the better performances he had the entire season, unfortunately. But it was during that match I said to you, if this is the Lukaku we're going to get, then I will be happy to be proven wrong, because this is the complete striker. He is able to, well, score goals. He's going to score a lot of goals for us, and he's going to be able to bully players around him. The problem was I was really concerned with how we were going to change him because our club is not built to have a 20 plus a season goal scorer in the league like Lukaku. And that was pretty evident not too far after because people think it's a new thing that he just wasn't getting involved, but he wasn't getting involved pretty much from the get go. 20, 30, 40 touches a game. Like those were pretty common from the earlier days, the thing about him was he was scoring some really impressive chances. There were plenty of goals where very few strikers were going to score those goals. And Tammy Abraham was the uh, player people would look back at and say, he wasn't scoring these chances, but here we have Lukaku with 20, 30 chances or 20, 30 touches a game. And he's scoring these well, half chances. So if we just continue to get him these half chances, then he's going to continue to score goals. However, expected goals are kind of a thing. And I hate referencing that stat, but if he's not getting the opportunities, which he wasn't, then it was just a matter of time before the goals started drying up. And that's the conversation I had with you. And I said, just if we keep playing like this, the goals are eventually going to dry up and we're going to have a striker short of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that, you know, as you look forward to, Okay, now Lukaku does move on, um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll have a lot of these conversations going forward, depending on who the next guy tasked to lead the line is. But, you know, that's sort of where maybe we still are with these systems that aren't maybe, um, you know, a, a striker is going to have to score a lot of goals with that, you know, low dreaded XG stat um, to, to really score prolifically for the team because he's not just going to get the chances and the touches that a lot of number nines need in order to kind of continuously feel comfortable and, and to play themselves into a game. Uh, you know, there's few guys that, that don't, but it's, it, that's a really rare skill set. Um, but you know, another part of this and, and we, you know, there's also, there's so many threads of this conversation, but I know specifically going back to right at the beginning and, and one of the things you pointed out, and, and many people did, but beyond just the cost of Lukaku and the risk of bringing him back and would it work, you know, effectively, the, we punted on one of our best and favorite club Cobham prospects of all time in Tammy Abraham, and, you know, I think you were wise, and, and you know, uh, be, <laughs> I lost that bet handily, you know, that, that, that he would outscore Lukaku, and you knew right away, and, and I thought... Well, maybe not this year. I think Lukaku will score more goals, but that 
you know, in the long run, I agree that, man, losing Abraham, that's a really big problem. And yet it became a huge problem immediately. And, um, you know, it it just adds so much extra sting to the ad, you know, to the big, big problem of Lukaku himself not performing at Chelsea. And Tammy Abraham was one of the biggest reasons I felt that Lukaku was not going to work out. And I give you credit, and I still give Lukaku credit. He, right now, is a better striker than Tammy Abraham, even with everything that's happened this past season. However, they're not the same player, but they have enough similarities to see that if Tammy Abraham wasn't working in Thomas Tuchel's system, then it was a very hard sell to me that Lukaku was going to work in the same system because they are both a little bit more of the traditional number nines. They are not the more modern sort of uh, free-flowing player. And one of my favorite text messages I received from you was when we were kind of discussing Lukaku and you said, well, Lukaku's not Jao Felix. And I said, well, he thinks he's Jao Felix. He wants the ball at his feet. He wants to, you know, dribble past or... Uh, run past players or bully players, or he thinks he has all these skills that, quite frankly, he does not really have. And that was one of the big problems with Lukaku. He's demanding the ball, and he's losing the ball. And he's just not getting, he's not making the right runs. He's not getting the opportunities. And there was a great article that was referenced by uh, Andrew Couch on this website, and he showed all the opportunities where Lukaku was either making a run and didn't get the ball, or he was making a run that went nowhere, and it was not cohesive in any part of the team. And it just kind of went to show that while he wasn't necessarily a good fit for Tuchel's system, Tuchel's system also was not a good fit for his skill set either. You know, that's a really good point about some of those similarities. And and, and added to that, um, you know, there were plenty of stats and plenty of things right there on the field to point out the failures of Lukaku. But uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit previously, but he's such a player of confidence as a lot of number nines are. And, you know, I, you know, you saw him at his, at his very best and most confident uh, in, in the title winning season at, at Inter right before his return to Chelsea. And again, it's, you know, you see all the things he can do, but, and I, I don't know, I don't watch enough Italian. I'm not going to be the guy today to say, well, in the Italian league, it was easier because he could have more touches and he could play, try to play with the feet and not be punished for it. And all the, you know, I won't say that, but whatever it was, certainly trying to return to that in the Premier League was not, didn't suit him or the team at all. And you saw the confidence dip. I mean, again, I think even in that first month, it wasn't a coincidence that good performances followed one another because that confidence was there. But once it started to dip, it just never, you know, he couldn't regain it. And and then obviously, you know, dealt with issues about uh, little little interviews or comments about how committed he really was at the club and what his plans were for the future and where his eyes you know, on, on, on trying to regain form or were they kind of on his next place to, to play, that stuff all starts to snowball so quickly. And, you know, I think that continued to drain on the confidence. So, um, you know, I, I think that, again, maybe it's just because Romello wears his emotions on his sleeve a little bit more than some, that it's, that it's the confidence issue seems so prevalent. But that's something I'm fascinated to see, although it's going to hurt. But I expect him to return to form when he goes back to enter, and I bet a lot of people do too, because I think he'll, if he can find that mental space again where he can be happy, then I 
you know, the quality's there. There's no, it's not like he's suddenly over the hill from that standpoint. So I'm, I, I think we should expect to see a huge season from him on loan. And yet I would not necessarily think we should be enticed to, to think that means he's going to come back to Chelsea again following this loan, right? Well, that's the big question is if this is the last minute Lukaku has ever played for this club. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. I think back to Shevchenko, who was not at the club for very long. And I remember us sending him out on loan and thinking, well, maybe if he rediscovers his form and maybe he can come back to the club and be of use to the club. But that was never really an option. It seemed like we had just kind of cut our losses at that point and let Shevchenko go. And I'm kind of wondering if with all the change and turnover, we've just kind of cut our losses with Lukaku and said, let's get what we can for him. Let's see if maybe uh, we can move him forward from this point on because this isn't a good fit for anybody. And I don't want to just spend this entire time bashing Lukaku because a lot of Chelsea supporters probably would and can, but I still kind of give him a little bit of a pass in the sense that we weren't the right fit for him. And I'm not going to badmouth him endlessly for basically being a square peg in a round hole that was never the right fit for him to begin with. Yeah, so let's dive into that a little bit more. And, you know, where where I think, again, a lot of it's obviously speculation, but where do you think some of that lies the most beyond Romelu himself, you know, um, within the club, that the club should have been more wise on the transfer front and the money spent, and including, obviously, having to make the decision kind of to, to move on from Tammy. Uh, is, it, is it Tuchel? Because I think now as the, you know, we... we this right in the middle of all this, we see Bruce Buck step down, and Marina Gravanskaya is going to no longer be part of the Chelsea business model. And you know that's a massive changes, and and, and those people were at least there. They were part of uh, you know the club administration when he comes into the club last season. Um, but you know, there's now it's going to be Thomas Tuchel leading the way, supposedly even more so in the transfer business. And yet, I you know this he obviously still had a big hand in. Lukaku arriving last summer. I mean, I, I it would be very hard to reframe that into somehow he had to put up with that because I don't think that was the case at all. I agree it wasn't necessarily the case, but I never felt that Lukaku was Tuchel's first choice. And I think back to Frank Lampard and Timo Werner because I still wonder to this day just how much Frank Lampard actually wanted Timo Werner. And going back just a couple of years ago, you wonder how our entire striker situation looks had Frank Lampard not signed a player that wasn't exactly right for him. And because Werner didn't quite live up to the expectations that he had on him, it felt like a priority to sign a striker this time around. And obviously, Tammy Abraham wasn't exactly Tuchel's fit. And you can kind of look around and say, Probably Erling Holland was his top pick, and Erling Holland is a player I felt is a much better fit for what Tuchel is trying to do. But Werner looks better under Tuchel, and so did Kai Havertz. And it's easy for me to say in hindsight that I didn't feel the need to sign a striker, but I said it at the time, I didn't feel the need to sign an out-and-out number nine. It never seemed like the type of player Tuchel really utilized best look back at his time at PSG, and he never had a true out-and-out number nine. And same thing at uh, Borussia Dortmund. His strikers were Aubameyang and Royce, two players that you would not call classic 
traditional number nines. So here we are again trying to lump in this player that I can't imagine Tuchel said, go out and get me Romelu Lukaku. I imagine he was probably looking at Holland and we just kind of boxed at the price tag and said, we can't justify this sort of price for a player, even if it made a lot more sense for both the manager as well as the club in the long run. So that's my thinking on the situation. So when they basically presented him with a situation, we can get you Lukaku or we can get you nothing. He just said, okay, I guess get me Lukaku and I'll make it work. And clearly that didn't really work. And I think there's some thought process that what Tuchel's intent was last summer may be confirmed by what happens, not confirmed, but maybe told on a little bit by what happens this summer since supposedly he's going to be such a you know such a key piece of making decisions, but I I don't know. I think it's hard to to a lot has changed in the last twelve months, and I think it'd be pretty hard to you know retroactively assume make those connections. I think those would be pretty loose threads. But uh, we may we maybe we'll get a sense through some of the de- some of the dealings and the way he talks about those dealings this summer um, to get a little bit I you know better sense of maybe how he did feel um, specifically to. You know Lukaku, and, and and I agree with you. I think Holland was you know kind of first on the list, and that just you know because of the natural tendency that he was going to depart somewhere this summer. Um, yeah, like I you know in the, at the end of the day, it seems like probably would have been worth it, it to the degree that how much that could be worth it. But um, you know that's that's obviously hindsight completely, and and I don't know whether we really would have had that opportunity. Um, you know, so this is a little bit of a of a connected to Romello, but just slightly tangent off of. Do you have so is that your expectation then, or what you would be most likely to see if indeed Tuchel's out in front of the of the targets for transfer business that we would see a different type of a number nine? I mean, you know, you brought up Dortmund and 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 some of the other places he's been. I mean, Kai Havertz is was started to really, you know, at least. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. A lot of people would love to see him always play in the number nine role, but again, I think that goes to what you were saying with his success under Thomas Tuchel. That you know he hasn't always had the most success from the the traditional number nines. Um, you know, is that would you? I guess maybe not be surprised to see him continue that vein. Tuchel is a very modern manager, and I'll give him credit for playing a more progressive and modern style of football where the number nine is a little outdated. It's a little bit of an older type of player to utilize in modern football today. So whatever he is targeting in terms of whoever is supposed to play up top, I don't think their biggest priority is goal scoring, actually. And Kai Havertz's biggest priority isn't necessarily goal scoring. So there are plenty of players that can fit in that mold maybe a little better. And their best thing is maybe getting some of the players around them some opportunities. You see Pulisic and Mason Mount get uh, some more opportunities with a player like Kai Havertz than they do with a player like Lukaku. So I just imagine that that's the direction he wants to continue to go is maybe somebody that helps create more chances rather than scores them themselves. Um, Lukaku, fun fact, had no assists this season across all competitions so that was another piece that didn't really fit with the rest of the players around him yeah and it'll be interesting too going into next season I mean I would imagine at least to start out we'll see formationally a lot of what we've seen from Tuchel so far at Chelsea but 
I also, you know, Ben Chilwell's going to be playing himself back in, and we still aren't sure about if Aspilicueta is going to be around. And uh, we're, we're pretty thin on the defensive side right now. Certainly we'll make a couple moves there. But, you know, are we going to play a back five, or will we see some change in formation that might make some of these conversations on the attacking front a little different because we can play a different style or play different um, personnel depending on how we line up. You know, I think that could open potentially the opportunity for uh, a player, whoever it is, leading the way up front to have, you know, something that Lukaku didn't have and that was more flexibility around him or in a spot. We'll we'll just, those things will all be dependent on the parts around them, but um, obviously be interested to see. And, and um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a little bit of a disheartening feeling to be sitting here right now watching Lukaku leave after such a disappointing year and see, you know, Mourinho and, and Tammy Abraham celebrating a, a fantastic league title and just things, everything's, you know, roses for those guys uh, this past season it, it, you know it, it's hard not to feel a little bitter about it um but I think it's just sort of the nature of a lot of these big signings and you take these big swings at players and you look around you know City's so dang deep I think it almost they can afford to take major swings and misses and it doesn't matter uh, they don't take a lot of misses but I you know I think we have had the past of being able to take some of these and miss these and It'll be really interesting, I think, specific to Lukaku in the summer of Bowie and this new ownership group arriving. If he sort of beyond him, his actual, you know, he as the person being such a, a, a oh, you know, just such a volatile signing and, and such an opinion signing and, and maybe, you know, the people saying the worst ever and all these things. Will he also mark a change in the way we do business and this swing and miss model of which he is sort of the ultimate star on top of the tree, but there have been many of, will we see a shift in trying to avoid some of those kinds of signings? I, who knows? Um, but you know, I, you know, you've already seen Todd Bowley talk a little bit about, you know, financial fair play and whether, you know, that's some of these teams are spending on a, on a sustainable model. To me, it's a little bit like, yeah, welcome to European football. This is, this, have we've been asking this about FFP since it began? Um, is he, is that sort of him telling us as fans think, you know, we might not make these kinds of signings like these Lukaku's because I'm not going to be able to, I'm not, we're not going to support this style of business that Roman Abramovich did for so long. Um, you know, there's so many things that I think Lukaku's time at Chelsea and his departure can stand for uh, depending on what happens over the next few years and be looked back on beyond just the disappointment of the past 12 months. Well, let me rewind and present you with that question because I have an opinion on this question, but do you think that Lukaku is our worst signing ever? Well, I think part of when what I've seen that around that conversation, part of it is it's like he, he was, I agree with you. I don't think the first time around was a bad signing. So I think people like to kind of lump that in because it sounds good to be like, well, he was a bad signing twice and then he was so bad the second time and then you add in the first, you know, I don't think, like I said, it was a very, very different situation the first time around. Um, 
I, I don't necessarily think he is our worst signing ever, um, but I would have to probably I can't I can't right now immediately say no this was this signing was worse um, because partly just because of the sheer dollars I think it's a little hard as you know having worked over the past ten years in finance and you look at markets as they change and inflation and and when you look at numbers over time it's it, it's so easy to just see the growth and there's a lot more to that story than just being higher paid. It's, it's, that's cause the market's changing and growing. So, so to me, you got to look at them a little amongst the eras and what the money being spent was around them. But from a sheer amount of money spent, it is pretty jaw dropping. And then, and then to me, I think to lose, to have that be such a huge part of Tammy Abraham, not being part of Chelsea anymore is pretty hard. And I think, um, I, I again, I'm I'm totally tiptoeing this answer and not really committing to you on this, but I, I I I can't say I would I would say he was our worst signing ever, but I would probably have to think pretty hard before I could come up with someone that I felt better about saying was. And I have no problem throwing him under the bus. And in an era full of some really bad signings, I'm thinking Danny Drinkwater, and people like to say Shevchenko and Fernando Torres, but I can't compare Fernando Torres and Andre Shevchenko to this transfer because every part of this was an absolute mess. The amount it costs to purchase him, the talent we lost out on, the drama he brought to the club, the things he said to the media, and the awful fit that never made any sense. None of this seems to work. If he never plays another minute for us, it's really hard to look back at this and justify this in any capacity because it's not like he had no effect on the club. He had a negative effect. We're going to lose a ridiculous amount of money on a player that just did nothing for the club rather other than kind of insult it, insulted the club, insulted everybody that had anything to do with his presence at the club. And he sulked and there were just so much like we never had the same sort of drama with uh, Danny Drinkwater. I, he had some stupid moments off the pitch, but it was nothing quite like what Lukaku did given the level of signing that Lukaku was. So he can redeem himself. And maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself by saying this, given that it is a one-year loan, but Tuchel does have one year left on his contract. It's entirely possible that maybe they're both looking towards the future, that maybe if Tuchel does not return to the club this next season after, that Lukaku could return and he could salvage something because he is a Chelsea supporter at heart. But if he never plays another minute for us, for me, he he has to be the worst signing we've ever had. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think it's difficult right now to imagine how he's going to, you know, it is hard to see how he's going to play more minutes for Chelsea because right now there's all this sort of, Tuchel seems so central to what's happening. But as we know, that is such a, a year as a millennium in anything at Chelsea. And, you know, not just for managers, but, uh, you know, if you think right now it seems impossible to see Lukaku in a Chelsea shirt again, I sure would have told you it sounded pretty impossible this time last year that we wouldn't have Roman Abramovich or Gravinskaya or Bruce Buck, that Rudiger would have left on a free transfer, you know, all kinds of other things that, you know, you could say, but... It, there, that is such a lifetime, and this next 12 months, I don't know how you'd possibly predict very well what is going to happen, at least from a, there's no historical basis for this ownership group or for this type of 
transition, at least going back, you know, we had our whole podcast on Abramovich and talked a little bit about, you know, when he came into the club, but talked that that was a very, very different time in the world, in club football, in in all everything. So, you know, it's going to be hard to predict for any of the players, for Tuchel, for for the immediate and, and even transfer strategy this summer a little bit. So, you know, getting very confident that there's no way Lukaku can play any part in Chelsea's future, I, you know, be careful. Um, and I, I think even Lukaku himself has made me careful to make a lot of predictions about him because like, like we're talking about here, it was just less than a year ago that I felt really, you know, for the most part, all pretty darn excited about his return. So, um, you know, I, I'm starting to learn with him that I, I'm not going to make any more real predictions, but... Um, at least as it stands now, certainly. Um, it seems, yeah, I, I, it just seems hard to me. I think he's going to go back and have a big year, but it's like it's going to be one of these, not quite a back of Yoko thing, but this like, sure, we'll loan him for $9 million next year. I, they're not going to enter even if he's successful as he ages. It's hard to see how they're going to really find a way to stump down all of our reinvestment or return money, you know, so it maybe we'll kind of milk loans for a few years or maybe he, maybe he can return to form and get some success with us. But, uh, you know, I, that, I guess that's still the hardest side for me to imagine. And there's still a worst case scenario where he goes there and doesn't have a very good season and he's very much out of form right now. And that's, if I had to make a wager on what's going to happen right now, I would say that's more likely he does not ever return to the player we once saw. And now we're burdened with a player on some pretty heavy wages and a pretty long contract and nowhere to really dump him. And that's really concerning. That would just kind of add to the thought I already have. But I, I still want to try to get it across that I like Lukaku, even with the stupid things that he has said and done and the fact that he never lived up to the expectations and underperformed with this club. I still like him, and I still know that there's a player there capable of being that record signing that we had once upon a time. It's just one of those things where you have to make a decision whether or not you think that going his direction, backing Lukaku, which at this moment seems irresponsible, or backing the manager who clearly does not have the same sort of vision for this player that he himself seems to have. And you'd be again, irresponsible to side with this player over this manager at this moment. So I I don't blame either of the two of them. And I'm still trying to kind of get that across because I don't want it coming off that Lukaku is just this poor, like bad person because, or a bad player because he's neither. He's just made some really dumb mistakes this, these past 12 months. Well, I won't point any anyone anywhere specifically, but if you want to get some proof of that, just go look at a lot of the conversations online about Lukaku and Chelsea. There are a lot harsher feelings out there than any of those you've shared tonight. So I'm I'm actually with you as well that you know, it's hard a little to be sitting here talking. We, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy being the worst signing ever. Yeah. It's hard to have that conversation and make it sound really positive around the guy at the same time. Um, I've seen, you know, there's there's people that are incredibly angry at him, and I, I don't. I, I tend to have a little more feeling of um, disappointment. And, yeah, I still have some frustration, particularly over, as you brought up, sort of the, some of the drama he brought to the club, some of the things he said to the media in the, in the middle of his struggles that sort of 
brought more attention to just the club, and we had a lot to deal with at that point in time anyway. It, it just was like, hey, man, be a be a teammate. Don't make this about you right now. Um, but at the same time, like, how many times could you say that in club football? Like, that's basically what it is, is a bunch of rich athletes make, you know, making it about them. That, that That's kind of the deal. So I, um, I, I don't know. I, there's part of me that feels like I should have more, you know, real frustration, but I, I, I feel more disappointment. And I, and I still, for him as a player, I've thought about this from, you know, I framed it earlier as kind of make you feel sick to your stomach to see him have all this success in the future with Inter. But you made the right point. It'd be, you better hope for that because if he goes back to Inter and stays in the form he's in, then we've just got a pretty, you know, really sunk asset on our hands and from regardless of whether he's going to come back and offer anything to the club or make some of the money back that we lost uh, on on his purchase we need him to return to good form to do either of those things whether it's for us or elsewhere so you know I, I that's maybe that's part of it still is it's it's I don't want bad things for him or his career I'd still like to see him have some success it it, it will be be a little I, again I think going back to that drama and his his open unhappiness and sharing it with the media I think the part makes me a little like I'll roll my eyes a little at is next year if he's doing really well and he's talking about how great Inter is and there's sort of all these comments that are sort of you know you read between the lines that are kind of directed at his time at Chelsea that that'll annoy me I think but but again let's that that's a that's a pretty small problem and also one that like 10 things have to happen to even get there so we'll see where we end up is this what's actually best for the club, though? Is getting is sending Lukaku on loan what's best for the club, or do you think that there was any possible way that maybe had he changed his attitude, or maybe had he been a little bit more of a team player, that he could have somehow thrived in this system? That Tuchel might have been able to figure this out and make him into the player he's capable of being. That's an interesting question. I mean, there were there were fairly wide widespread reports. Again, when I say reports, it was and I was talking to David about this on the last podcast. You know, there's no such thing as like investigative journalism. It's just sort of people putting out stories to try to get an angle, or maybe somebody, you know, or maybe somebody itk or whatever. But I, it seemed like there was that there was stories out there that that Bowley had had some form of communication with Lukaku, pretty directly told, "I have no interest in staying here." I, I think that makes it pretty much a, a open and shut book for a guy coming in as a new owner. That is really hard to have hanging over your introduction to the club, even if you weren't responsible for the situation or how we got to that part of the situation. Um, you know, I, if there was a way, I don't know that, that again, I think we're just going to kind of get used on that loan thing to basically have another team get full benefit of a player on our dime for the most part. It sounds like maybe we got out of some of the wage obligations at least, but you know, I, I can't see that, you know, us making money back in the way that he could, if he could return to form, he could provide a lot more value to the actual first team at Chelsea. But it seems like to me, he made the decision um, quite some time ago that that was not going to be in his interest. And because of his, what we've seen from him and that drama, you talked about our comments to the media, that's not a guy I really want to have hanging around the club, hoping that he'll have a change of heart. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, the thing that everybody kept 
saying when he first came was that he wanted, this is what he wanted. He wanted to play for Chelsea. There's that video of him at what, 16, 17 years old touring Stamford Bridge. And he was living all of our dreams, being the player for our favorite club in the world. And they were determined to succeed. And obviously there's still part of me that wants that to happen. And it's really hard for me to give up on a, what is he, 29-year-old striker right now. and. I think, unfortunately, this is its something I didn't foresee towards the end of the season. Even when he wasn't getting his minutes, I kind of assumed that maybe come this offseason, we were going to figure it out. We were going to find a way to make him a useful member of this squad, especially given all the players that might be on their way out, including possibly Timo Werner. And we're just kind of short on options. And if we could build something around him, maybe make him happy and I, I thought that there was a way and I still think that there could be a way, but it just seems nearly impossible at this time that this is probably for the best. Unfortunately, I think this this was just not the right fit for anybody. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned Werner because I think that's that there. Yeah. That's the example of the guy who he hasn't really worked out any better um, not quite the cost to bring him in, but I think the fact he has been very quiet, he has, you know, even when I, I think especially his first season, you know, there was a lot of animosity from Chelsea fans at him and still without turning around really his at least statistical success in any major way, you, to me, there's been a real softening in, in the approach from the fans toward Timo Werner because they've felt like, or, or it seemed like they've they've seen somebody who's, I don't know, like not had, I don't know, there's just been a different, you know, a little bit of a different approach to maybe him not making comments or him just sort of like having some self-awareness about his, his struggles and wanting to just grind his way out of it rather than move on. But again, I almost feel like now we're talking about college athletes, like where guys are like, don't enter the transfer portal because you got to grind your way to get, I don't, I, telling people how to approach their careers and how they need to, you know, I think Werner's gotten some some attention for that, but I, I also it's hard for me to see in some ways that if Lukaku did take that approach, that he'd be given. I don't know. Do you think he'd get that same sort of, you know, softening of of, of the failure idea, even if he didn't have any major success, or do you think those players are too incomparable to even really kind of have that conversation? I think there's always a way back. And I was a really harsh critical critic of Werner. I can admit to that. And one of the things that really frustrated me was there was one game where I believe it was him and Havertz scored the three goals between them, and we ended up drawing three to three. And Timo Werner went out to the public and he criticized the rest of the club. And that was a little frustrating. That was in his early days when he started off pretty well. He was scoring goals and looking good at the same time. I didn't exactly appreciate that comment and then when he stopped scoring goals and he was still getting minutes in place of other players there was a bit of frustration and animosity towards Timo Werner I can admit that however I've softened up on him for sure because his attitude has been so positive and he he never complains and you can see it out there he's working really hard and no matter how much he's struggling he is determined to succeed that's the type of player that we all want. If we had 11 players out there every single match that are trying their hardest to win and perform and be successful, then 
it's, it's really hard to dislike any player that is putting all their effort into it. If Lukaku came back and he was chasing down every ball and he was attacking every single pass and doing anything he could to score, then it's entirely possible there was still a way back for him. And I could forgive him for everything that has happened and he's done, just like I did with Timo Werner to an extent. So I, I always see a way back for our players. They're still our players, and I want every single one of them to succeed, and I care about every single one of them. Well, as with all our Chelsea topics, I'm sure you know we could we could discuss this into the night. And I know that I know that we will uh, talk about this a lot more coming going forward. But you know, anything else that you know stands out to you specifically, kind of at this time frame, but uh, you know, before we we kind of depart for the evening about Lukaku or or anything kind of wrapping up his time at Chelsea. Yeah, that is that is so tricky. I feel like I, <laughs> everything has happened somewhat quicker than I expected. If you told me a year ago that he was only going to be at the club for one season, then I would have, I, I don't even know what I would have thought of that time. So it's its a very unfortunate situation. Hopefully I haven't waffled too much back and forth about my opinions on him because I feel like, especially reading the comments on a lot of the articles that people have posted about Lukaku, people share the same sentiment. He made some mistakes. We wanted things to be better, but it's probably just best to let things end the way they ended. Well, one of the things that I personally enjoy about getting to host a podcast is that it's a good space to have a little bit more nuanced conversation and be able to talk about both sides of a conversation because, and I think Lukaku is the perfect, again, it's pretty easy to point out sort of the big failures there and we have um but i you know i think it's a space because a lot of conversations in sport and life are a little more nuanced than we like to sort of actually talk through them these days and i think again being a fan of a of a team hopefully we do have a little bit more feelings about some of these players as individuals and hoping for their success while also being disappointed by their failures and how do we feel about you know their future careers with other clubs and fighting some of that stuff's the most interesting parts of sports because it does have all these conflicting emotions and yet um, sometimes when we're trying to, you know, put our put our feelings about all that in a sentence, I think it's a really big, um, it, it does us a disservice. And so I appreciate actually that you know coming on and sharing sort of the the myriad kind of different viewpoints and all the different angles of this because um, certainly, uh, you know, at, you were just I'll wrap it up with kind of this as you were talking about that video of. Uh, Lukaku coming to the club for the first time when he came from Belgium and Anderlecht and I, I, I that video was just playing in my head as you were talking about it and the smile on his face and that time specifically even in my life um, the excitement that I held for the club and, and still do but I, I felt at that I remember almost feeling like you said, like I was experiencing it through his eyes. And, and so he's been a player that, that I and a lot of others have had so much hope for and, and excitement for. And that was part of that return and feeling like there was this, there was this Cinderella story to be written. There was a second chapter chapter with the happy ending. And so, you know, maybe like sports and life, maybe there's that final chapter we haven't gotten to yet. There's one more for the trilogy that he's going to finish this off and it's all going to be this final 
happy ending or maybe not right like a lot of things in sports maybe it ends up more more of a tragedy but um i i I greatly appreciate you coming on and talking about all those kind of different angles and i i look forward to very much also talking here throughout the summer kind of how now the club i think with this with this move made now it sounds like can kind of start focusing on the next era and what they want to bring in um, to, to, to get the team ready uh, to start filling some of these problems that they've had and, and some of these departures. So um, I hope that you'll come back and join me to talk about all of that. Yeah, of course. And thanks for having me on this one as well. Absolutely, my friend Julian Bravo again, and uh, we'll have you again. On, we'll have you again soon. Thanks again, folks, for joining us on another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. We'll be back at least within the week to talk about some more Chelsea transfer business and probably dive in a little bit more to the departure of uh, two longtime club club administrators in Bruce Buck and Marina Gravanskaya. Until then, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>